This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for November 30th, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Amazon announced its location decision on November the 13th, splitting what's called HQ2 between Crystal City, Virginia and Long Island City, New York. The announcement was not without critics, but both New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Virginia Governor Ralph Northam held celebratory press conferences. Either you are creating jobs or you are losing jobs. Either you are part of the economy of tomorrow or you're part of the economy of yesterday. This is a competition. And for us, it's about being part of the economy of tomorrow. That's why I'm proud to announce today that Amazon has found its next home for innovation right here in our Commonwealth of Virginia. The governors of New York and Virginia in mid-November. But what's next? How did Amazon make the decision? And did these governors give too much in tax incentives to get the company to come to their states? Our guest this week is Andy Medici. He is money reporter for the Washington Business Journal. He joined C-SPAN's The Weekly to talk about the future of Amazon's HQ2, how the company got so big, and why it chose those locations. Let's begin with the genesis of Amazon. How and why did it begin? Well, Amazon actually first began, and it seems so long ago, as a way to sell books. And it only sold books. And it was back in the day when if you were a used bookseller or a new bookseller and someone wanted a book, there was no way to really get it unless you knew the people. So Amazon was originally a way to gather together essentially an online bibliography and let people know what books everyone else had. And then it grew from there into sort of the e-commerce giant that we know today. And for you and your family, this is personal. My parents uh, used to own a used bookstore, and they used uh, Amazon's predecessor, uh, which was eventually purchased by Amazon. But that was how they were able to get clients the books that they wanted. How did it work back then? How is it working today? I remember dialing into the Internet on a 28.8K modem, And it took your phone line, and it took a long time. And comparing that to the way it works nowadays, where I can literally say things to a smart speaker, maybe that I want to buy something, and it will buy it for me. So we've come leaps and bounds. And I think it's hard because it's incremental, so you don't really notice uh, sort of how convenient it's become. What is the best way for us to understand Jeff Bezos? Jeff Bezos is a man who had a really good idea And it turns out that it was actually a much broader idea, which is that people wanted to buy things easier. And it turns out that that applied to almost everything. And he was able to put together what at first was a book company, bookstore, online bookstore, and have it become essentially one of the largest e-commerce giants. And that has led it into all sorts of other industries. We talk about cloud computing. We talk about uh, the online streaming service Twitch, which a lot of gamers use. And they sort of branched out into everything that you could possibly think about if it's online. CBS News uh, this past week reporting that in a minute, Amazon is processing more than 90,000 packages. I wouldn't be surprised. Amazon, as people probably heard, is one of the Postal Service's biggest customers. It is also one of the biggest package shippers. And they do this uh, because that's how people want it. And they do it quickly now. They can do it fast enough for people to not even really think about stuff when they order it. I don't know how often people 
now do the math on how long it takes to get a package. But if Amazon can offer it to you in two days, most people will buy it. And sometimes within a day. Sometimes within two hours. The name itself, Amazon, where did it come from and why? Well, originally it wasn't supposed to be Amazon. It was supposed to be about a company called Kadabra, like Abracadabra. But as Bezos has said uh, publicly, it sounded too much like cadaver, and people were not very happy about that. So he changed it to Amazon, liked the sound of it, and it was sort of based off of the river. It had a good ring to it, and he sort of just went with it. And that's part of his ethos is finding the thing that works better and just going with it. You posted a story recently at Washington Business Journal with this headline, Amazon is huge, but can it be the region's next AOL? For those outside of Washington, D.C., explain. So AOL is more than just the company that sent you free minutes CDs back in the 90s. Uh, in the D.C. area, it was actually the vehicle to create, uh, last time people checked, about 4,000 millionaires. The company was born here, grew here, eventually employed 12,000 people before it merged with Time Warner. And it created so many millionaires, so many executives, they went on to found a whole slew of other companies. And they really became sort of a backbone for a lot of the business here in the region today. Amazon, based in Seattle, Washington, why? Well, uh, it was originally the place that they they moved to. It has uh, a great tech area at the time. It had Microsoft. It had a lot of other places. In, in a way, it was where Bezos wanted to be because he knew he could get the people. And that's why he moved there. It was sort of the center at the time. So let's take a step back and talk about the process of HQ2, and then we'll discuss the two locations that were selected. How did this come about? Well, normally, corporate relocations are done sort of in secret. And in this case, Amazon sort of burst onto the scene with essentially a request for proposals, asking cities across the country and across North America for sort of their best put-together plan for a second headquarters, as they described it. So they kind of asked for cities to essentially put up their best efforts, and then they went around the country and looked. And it was a very public process, at least in some aspects, uh, more so than a lot of other corporate relocations. When Marriott or Nestle moved their headquarters, it was done sort of in secret and sort of announced at the last moment. This was a more than a year-long process. And really pitting one city against another, one state against another. Why? Yes. Well, one thing Amazon's very good at, it's getting tax credits and other sort of public incentives for the jobs that they create. They're a very large company, more than 500,000 employees. So when they asked cities to do this, what ended up happening was it's like bidding on a house, right? And you find out that there are 237 other bidders. What would your offer be? Be much higher. And they knew that. So they used their leverage to get what they thought were the best offers for their company. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, legally, no. I think there's a lot of debate over whether companies should be able to do that, especially as we get to an age where a lot of these companies are really large and the leverage that they can yield against state local governments is considerable. You cover money for the Washington Business Journal. Just how much money was at stake for Virginia and New York? Well, Virginia put up $800 million in incentives and New York about $2.5 billion, depending on a little bit how you count them. But so overall, more than $3 billion for Amazon for the two sites that it chose. And uh, other states and areas were willing to put up a lot more. So in some ways, Virginia maybe got a bit of a deal, but it just depends on how you look at it. So did Virginia get a better deal than New York? I'd say so. Uh, it, of course, if you ask someone, they might say that Amazon was always destined to come to the D.C. area. Jeff Bezos has a home here. 
Amazon cloud services is based here. So if you believe that they were already coming here, then you spent 800 million for nothing. But if you believe that the company will generate those jobs and wouldn't have done so otherwise, 800 million is a per job tax credit. So it's not a tax abatement on real estate. They have to produce those jobs to get that money. Let's talk about the two cities. First, Long Island City, New York. Why was that city selected? It's an interesting choice, but maybe not uh, sort of inevitable. It was actually uh, sort of an offshoot of Manhattan. You can get there on the met- on their version of the metro. It's relatively close, and it has a lot of underdeveloped real estate, so there's room to grow for Amazon, and it also has access to that New York City tech pool. Crystal City in Northern Virginia, the second site selection. Some now say it may be called National Landing. Is that correct? Yes. The bid for what people refer to as National Landing, that name was chosen sort of by the areas as a sort of brand, an umbrella brand for Crystal City, pieces of Pentagon City, uh, pieces of Potomac Yard. So whether you or not you like National Landing, I guess, depends on maybe how much you like Amazon. Why Crystal City? Crystal City is an interesting choice. It's close to D.C. It's close to the airport. And it has a lot of vacant real estate. And a lot of that real estate is owned by one company in particular, JBG Smith. So if you're looking to deal with maybe just one broker and not have to sort of piece together a campus, which is what Amazon was considering, they really like to have that land en masse, then Crystal City made a good choice. And for a lot of people, Northern Virginia was always a choice for that reason. When will these two cities see Amazon up and running? Well, You'll see Amazon move in in waves, and that'll start next year. And you'll probably see them within a few thousand within the next year or two. And then how fast they grow after that is kind of up to them. You know, we've seen corporate relocations change or alter over time. And a lot of these incentives go out 20 or 30 years. So it's hard to predict what it'll look like. But Amazon has promised essentially each city 25,000 or so with another 15,000 jobs uh, over time if things go well. With the news of another legacy company, GM, cutting back as many as 15,000 jobs across five states, Amazon growing with another 50,000 jobs in New York and Northern Virginia. What type of jobs are these? Well, there is a mix. A lot of them are high-tech jobs, jobs in artificial intelligence, machine learning, in the programming and coding that you need to create all the devices that we know Amazon for. But a lot of it will be management-level jobs. It will be marketing jobs, administrative jobs, because you need those to keep everything running. So it will more than likely be a mix of those of those occupations. So why does Amazon need so many people on the East Coast? Well, I think it's interesting because I think as tech companies grow and become more powerful, they're also getting into areas of increasing regulation. Things like artificial intelligence, drones, are areas where the landscape is still being shaped by Congress. And you want to be close to that. And it very clearly, Jeff Bezos himself wants to be close to that, uh, remodeling you know, a $20 million house. So these are one of the situations where it makes sense to have a portion of your workforce here and close for when you need it. These jobs, the 25000 in Virginia, 25000 in New York, will they be evenly divided? So they've, all, they've told each of those areas that they'll get at least 25000 That's what the tax incentives are for. It's unclear how they're going to do it over time, whether one area will get more than the other. But I have a feeling that instead of parsing it out one for one, they'll probably be done in waves over time, and you'll see it balance out maybe eventually. How would you gauge the reaction among the general public in these two cities? I think Northern Virginia was more hospitable than New York. And 
that's not a dig at New York, where I feel like they have a reputation for maybe a bit of hostility, but well-earned. They don't believe they got the best deal. New Yorkers are worried a lot about the infrastructure, a lot about whether this money could have been better put elsewhere. Northern Virginia, there has been some pushback, but I would say not as much. That's an area that is sort of used to the politics of it, the the sort of wheeling and dealing of it. And so I think Amazon didn't encounter as much hostility in Northern Virginia for that reason. Let's talk about some of the issues that these communities will face in Northern Virginia. Transportation, both the gridlock on the highway on 395 coming in and out of uh, Washington, D.C. to Northern Virginia and to the metro system. What will it mean? Yes. Well, that's one of those open questions, which is how much density can the region support? And does an influx of these jobs make it harder? And of course, I think it does. It does make it harder. It's about trade-offs, but the region has not done a great job of ensuring that people can get from one place to another. Uh, We talk about 395, but it's essentially a parking lot most times of the day. You talk about Metro, and they just recently created some dedicated funding, but when there are Twitter accounts based solely off of talking about Metro's many deficiencies, I think it's hard uh, to look at that and say that those won't be stressed even further. The economy in Washington, D.C. is very different from the 1960s and 70s, where it was basically just the government. Can you talk about the transformation that we've seen, AOL, among the companies that are growing here, Marriott, Hilton, and high-tech companies beyond Amazon? Yeah, D.C. and the surrounding area of the DMV has seen a shift. You know, they are still in large part a company town, about 40%, but it's way down from it was in previous decades. You have companies being born here, relocating here, Nestle, relocated their corporate headquarters from south uh, from Southern California the other year. You have Marriott's relocation. You have a lot of companies being born here in a growing startup scene. So it is it is shifting, and it's a shift into areas that require high education. They require uh, higher-level employees, and what D.C. can offer is a lot of that. You have a lot of people coming out of the government, research institutions, uh, government agencies focused on research or the Defense Department, and those can help feed sort of that industry high in tech demand and especially as you see other companies and industries grow like drones or amazon coming here there'll be an even greater demand for people that can sort of navigate those industries and that high education includes virginia tech with a plan of a one billion dollar what they call an innovation campus located in alexandria including parts of pentagon city crystal city and the potomac yard in alexandria what can we expect there That's an interesting part of this whole process, which is that you're actually getting an institute of higher education in an area where there isn't. And I think what you'll see there is you'll see see that school create a new mix in that population. Crystal City, largely known for commuting workers, for a lunchtime crowd. It sort of empties out in the evenings, but younger people have a tendency to be able to remake areas to better fit them. So I think you're going to see an interesting mix in the future as that campus fills up and businesses that spring up to fill the needs of those students as opposed to, you know, older, more established workers in the middle of their careers. And you mentioned the investment by the Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of New York. What about the investment of Amazon? How much money are they proposing to invest in Crystal City, National Landing, and in Long Island City, New York? Well, directly, they've said that their total HQ2 investment is a bit more than $5 billion. But if you take some of the economic forecast by Northern Virginia and by New York, you'll end up with a lot more. They say that it'll you know, create a lot more ancillary jobs, 
there'll be a lot more additional investment. So what you end up running is in 2040, you'll see, at least according to their calculations, tens of billions in additional investment, in additional revenue, in additional and additional taxes brought in to those areas. What are among the biggest challenges for city planners? I think what you have here is a chance and also a risk, which is you have one large tenant coming in. So you have a chance to know what you can fill and what you can do with it. Often you'll see these large mega projects, they'll be vacant or they'll fall flat. There, uh, St. Elizabeth's in Southeast DC has been largely vacant despite repeated efforts to bring people in. In Amazon, you have a guarantee, at least in part, that they'll fill the space that you build for it. So there's already big plans, pedestrian walkway to national airport. Um, you'll see mixed u additional mixed use buildings being born. So you have a chance to create something more livable, more walkable. But then you also have a chance to create something that was a lot like Crystal City back in the 70s, which people thought was great at the time. But we look at it now and say, you know, the 70s brutalist architecture, what have we done? So there, the risk is in doing something too much. But there's a lot there that you can do. You can make something more sustainable in the future. And how quickly do you think we will see these changes? Five years, 10 years down the road? I'd say within five years, you'll probably you'll see some new buildings go up. You'll see some changes to the walking patterns of Crystal City. I think to really see a difference in the total look of Crystal City, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer than that. And I guess the overriding question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it for Virginia and New York? That's a great question. I'd like to get back to you in 20 years, but I can't. I would say that, at least for Northern Virginia, it seems like they landed a pretty big fish. New York's bigger. New York has different needs. And I think it was a it was a good get for the city. But whether or not, just like with other corporate locations, if it works out, it depends a lot on the residents and on what will happen with local pushback there. And for those cities, including a lot of mid-sized cities like Pittsburgh and Columbus, Ohio, that view this as really a transformation for their communities, what about those cities that did not get Amazon? What does Amazon get from this research, and how does this pit these cities in the future? That's the next step of all this, which is that Amazon collected a ream of data from cities all across the country, demographic information, population information, but also what those cities are willing to pay for jobs, for people to come there. What Amazon does with it will be an interesting gambit because it could be for them. They'll find some way, I'm sure, to monetize that data. And it's like knowing what any individual person will pay for a car or for a house. That gives you leverage and that gives you insight into those cities. So I expect we'll see a lot more activity on that front, whether it's from Amazon or some of its subsidiaries or other companies, it remains to be seen. And why do you think Amazon in particular has been so successful? I think it's something that Jeff Bezos said publicly once, which is that their philosophy is to find the things that work for people and to make it easier for people and to not be afraid to look at what they're doing wrong and completely change it. Jeff Bezos has been out in front in a lot of ways on a lot of industries, and it seems like in some ways other people are always playing catch up. So in a lot of ways, it's because Amazon is that company of the future that has taken advantage of gaps in the market. But in another way, you know, they can now use their large market size to increase their efficiency, to enter into new markets easier. So it's sort of a cycle that plays on itself, that, that market pressure and that market power. Well, let me use the GM analogy one more time because GM now trying to play catch up with hybrid, electric, and driverless cars. That's their plan for the future. How does Amazon make sure that it stays ahead of the curve? Well, it's 
It's interesting. Uh, Jeff Bezos still remains very involved in his business. If you email him, he says he reads some of those emails. Jeff at Amazon, I think, is one of his email accounts. He reads it. He's still heavily involved with the company. He creates a culture of people attempting new things. He's not afraid to get into new markets. The purchase of Whole Foods, for example, would be something that most people wouldn't even consider. They've talked about him buying a bank. So these are all things that Amazon's not, uh, Amazon is definitely willing to take risks and it's definitely willing to take some of the money it's collected and to branch out. And I think that's what you're seeing is a company that's not afraid to alter or change or expand upon what it was. And as somebody who covers Amazon and follows it so closely, who are its biggest competitors? It depends on the industry, right? If you're talking about cloud services, you have IBM. You know, if you're talking about e-commerce, you have Walmart and Target. But they seem to have competitors in every area, but they seem to be doing well no matter what they're in. They're in markets that a lot of people don't even play in, which is they own Twitch, which is a streaming company for gamers. They're, and that's the dominant force in that industry. So, you know, they have competitors. They don't have one single competitor, though, which is perhaps to their advantage. Has anything surprised you personally in covering the Amazon HQ2 story? I think what I found so interesting about Amazon is that in a lot of ways, it's a mirror to any individual person. Whether you like it or hate it, there's always something to like or to hate about it. It's so big and it does so much that it's hard to focus on any one piece. But at any given time, Amazon's doing something, and that draws a reaction from people. And I think increasingly they're in the spotlight as the company to talk about, whether we talk about regulation or the responsibility of corporations to the citizens or taxes, you'll see Amazon in all those conversations, and they're at that size now. So you expect it to continue to grow in the years ahead? Yes, I, def I definitely see it continue to grow, and I definitely think it'll continue to be in the public eye. And finally, what questions remain in particular for Virginia and New York as this process begins, as these jobs begin to move to Virginia and the New York City area? I think one of the biggest questions that people are working out now is how much special treatment does Amazon get as opposed to other companies that might be there? Should they get a fast track on permitting? Should they get a fast track on approval? Should they get uh, sort of incentives that other people don't? And that is essentially up to politicians and to the voters eventually. But should Amazon be given things that other companies that have grown here or that have moved here on their own have not? And that's a question that should be answered at some point. And what about your parents' uh, bookstore? They closed it years ago. It does, there wasn't a lot of money in being a used bookstore at that time. So we see where that is now, I guess. Andy Medici, he covers money for Washington Business Journal. Thanks very much for stopping by the C-SPAN Radio studios. It's a pleasure to be here. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN Radio app, online at cspan.org, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. We thank you for listening.